This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt and Jonathan Kendall. I'm Fitzroy with the stars, B. I'm Wanganine in 93. I'm Mundine. I'm Kathy Free. Man, that far inside of me. I'm Madam Goods and Madam should be applauded when he stands up. You can look to us from that time stop. I'm Patty Mills with the last shot. I'm good. I'm March. I'm everything that you watch. I'm everything that you copy. I'm the dead hearts. I'm good. I'm March. 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 I'm Patty Mills. Does the music you listen to, or maybe even the fashion labels that you follow on Instagram, play a role in you learning about our country's long Indigenous history? This particular song, Jono, and even as I'm listening it to it now, every hair on my body is standing on end because the first time I heard it, I actually had a really emotional reaction and I remember it so vividly. I was in the car on my own and it was during coronavirus, so I was quite emotional at the time, even though we know coronavirus is still in our community now, rightly so. But it was so powerful. I turned it up really loud and I was at the lights and all of a sudden I just had tears streaming down my face. I just, I felt empathy, I felt connected, I felt educated and there was something so powerful about this particular song and I started to think, gosh, do we learn more sometimes through popular culture when it comes to important things like our Indigenous history than we do in formal settings and settings? How special is that, just that that song has that connection to you and was that powerful for you? And for me, that moment wasn't through music or art, it was through a guided cultural tour in Northern Territory. Um, I was up at Ubir in Northern Territory and we were looking at some rock art at a really special site up there and there was the guide was telling us about the art and what it means and then showed us these little uh, bowls in the rock that people had made where people had had food um, and they took us up and it was just sunset and you could look to the north and see that beautiful Kakadu style country and then the escarpment country and then the desert country as well. And I just had this moment where the the hairs just stood up on the back of my neck and I just felt like I was in someone's house, you know, and that was that moment for me. Um, and, and it just strikes the, it just shows how important it is to have those things interpreted is that, you know, and I felt like I was just starting to understand Australia's Aboriginal history through that, you know, when I didn't really get a feel for that in school. And it's whether or not it should be taught in school and how it should be taught in school, but we can't underestimate those experiences, the experiences of nature. And we'll speak to a ranger from Central Bendigo a little later because we're seeing significant changes when it comes to even just markings of where we walk and where we spend time, whether it be walking tracks or playgrounds. But the role of music, you know, the role of fashion, we're seeing incredible exhibitions happening in regional Victoria, across the road here at the NGV as well. And given that yesterday marked the beginning of Reconciliation Week and the theme this year is more than a word. Reconciliation takes action. We're looking at ways you can learn and ways you can embrace First Nations history. Is it music? Is it language? Is it fashion? Is it literature? 
Is it nature? On ABC Radio, this is The Conversation Hour with Rochelle Hunt and Jonathan Kendall. I don't need no butler cleaning cutlery. Never find me sleeping under muddy trees. Hi, I'm Baked Boy. Namirni, which means how are you? Namayalala, which means see you guys later. I just might keep it hundred today. Can I Today in the conversation, now given that we are in Reconciliation Week, we're talking about how do you learn about our history, about our long history. What has worked for you? It could be listening to Adam Goods. It could be going to a piece of theatre. It could be walking somewhere in nature, music or fashion. Fashion is an interesting one, Jono, because lots of people roll their eyes when you say fashion, don't they? They're like, oh, fashion doesn't mean anything. You know, what is it? It's just garments it's and... It's all froth and bubble and, you know, and, and movies like Zoolander poke fun at it really well, I reckon, at the fashion industry. But there is a really important side to it as well. And um, that's what we're having a chat about today. Uh, Shanae Hobson is a country woman from Cohen on the Cape York Peninsula and is also a curator of Indigenous art at the NGV. Good morning. Good morning, Jonathan. Uh, How important is fashion when it comes to teaching people about Aboriginal history? Yeah, I mean, fashion is a really accessible form of communication Um, and for a lot of First Nations people, it's not just kind of clothing and what you wear but it's a form of contemporary storytelling. So it's a way for us as First Nations people to really share our strong continued histories and cultures through wearable art, whether that be through jewellery making, um, garments or textiles and fabric. So I think fashion um, can be a lot of different things. Um, One of the really great things about Indigenous fashion in particular and a lot of the designers that are working in this space is that they're really um, paving the way for broader conversations around sustainable fashion um, and also to recognising First Nations voices within the colonial space as well. It was really quite edgy when you curated an incredible Indigenous fashion exhibition at the Bendigo Art Gallery, who are always pushing boundaries and doing incredible work. But that particular exhibition, which you curated, Shonae, was just embraced from all across the state, if not further. How important is a moment like that in being able to share history and teach history? Yeah, well, the idea for the exhibition from Bendigo really came from my visits um, and time that I'd spent at the Cairns Indigenous Arts Fair fashion performances. So Grace Lillian Lee, um, who is the founder and is also an incredible designer and artist herself, um, came up with the idea to do these fashion performances um, and that would give an opportunity to work with a number of designers and remote art centres who were able to showcase Um, and produce collections that would be um, modelled by First Nations models on the runway. And so when I started at the Bendigo Art Gallery in 2018 and I did a little bit of a research about, you know, these incredible fashion exhibitions that they do, which usually tell stories from a Western perspective, um, I was really kind of um, overwhelmed and also, to me, I was very surprised that an exhibition of this kind had not been done before in Australia. So it was really a driving moment for me to be, um, you know, to enforce the importance of First Nations fashion and really work with a number of incredible designers who are doing amazing things um, all around Australia. So with Pimpy, we had about 
70 different artists and designers all working in a variety of different mediums, um, from textile printing to um, upcycling materials um, to materials gathered on country as well. Um, so it was a really great exhibition to work on and so important to showcase to other audiences as well the importance of fashion and storytelling. Are you talking there about some of the Western perspectives that come through in the curriculum? And and one of those I reckon that I was exposed to was that Aboriginal cultures were hunter-gatherers who kind of wandered around and and did what they need to do. But really, I mean, there's a, a gathering weight of evidence, including Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu, around organised agricultural practices, organised fashion practices, organised, um, you know, making possum skins and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So how important is it that that message gets out there that that it wasn't just all you know being a hunter and a gatherer that's right and it's through exhibitions like these and through first nations voices that we're really able to dismantle those colonial ideas and so with this show what um i worked on and what i really wanted to reinforce was this idea of indigenous peoples as a resilient people so we have had a really tough history and that shouldn't be ignored Um, and we continue to face, um, you know, racism and problems in Australia, but we're also really resilient, and we show that through our art and our culture. So through the fashion, a lot of the designers have been able to share their stories and share their continuing links with their communities through really innovative and accessible forms. Um, And I think that a lot of Western audiences can really relate to that as well. And just finally, Shona, I mean, it goes without saying that it's, so wonderful to to see a young Indigenous curator at an establishment like the NGV and to, to have your influence there all the time is just so important. And so congratulations because it's a relatively new appointment. But when it comes to fashion, how important is it for the younger generation to take ownership, to be proud and to let everybody know what they're wearing, the story behind it, and to make sure that their stories are continued as well. Is this something that inspires you or or that gives you hope that, you know, the the next generation are coming through and they're going to continue to keep storytelling at the forefront? Most definitely. And, you know, similar to painting on canvas, similar to um, ceramic work, similar to weaving, fashion is just another form that we can... can continue to share our stories as First Nations peoples. Um, and it also opens up a plethora of opportunities for young people to become models, to become artists, to become designers, to curate and artistic direct fashion performances, um, to be dancers and tell their stories. So it's really great um, that we've got an industry that is learning um, and working with First Nations peoples. And of course, there's still a lot, a lot of work to do in this space. Um, but the space is definitely being led by First Nations voices, um, which is really important. Shanae, so good to have you on the radio uh, to have a chat with us. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you both for having me. Shanae Hobson, a country woman from Cohen, the Cape York Peninsula, and a curator of Indigenous art at the NGV, the National Gallery of Victoria. Uh, We would love to hear from you this morning on how we should approach uh, history and Aboriginal history in Australia. Uh, How have we changed the way we teach history and we look at Aboriginal history in Australia? Joe is in Brunswick. G'day, Joe. Good morning to you both. Um, I used to be a flight attendant uh, with uh, now non-existent airline, ANSET. (laughs) And one day I had this uh, gentleman 
who asked to sit next to the window after takeoff, and uh, he was an Indigenous uh, gentleman. And after, it was a very quiet flight, so I went up to him and I asked why he wanted to do that, and he said, I wanted to see my country uh, from this height. And so I asked him, and we started talking about his history, and his uncle had been the gentleman who had the red dirt poured into his hand by Gough Whitlam. So I was touching history, or I was next to history at that point, but I then asked him, how is it that you, your Indigenous ancestors have been able to paint these pictures, these dot pictures and everything with landscape that looks like from a, a very high perspective when, you know, they've been painting this for so many centuries? And he said, it's easy. It's our spirits talking to us. Wow. I'm and, just getting, you know, hairs <laughs> on the back of my neck standing up just listening to you, Joe. I cried. I just, I, I had to go off into the into the galley and just sit there mm. and, and I was washed over with emotion at that point because all of a sudden I got it. I got it. And I was just, I, I felt incredibly proud and uh, very fortunate at that point. That's the moment, isn't it? The I got it. You know, when, we're, <laughs> when, we, when we talk about reconciliation, we're talking about trying to bridge gaps. We can't ignore the fact that we are privileged white people and that we need those moments. We need those awakening moments and how we change that, you know, and that's, What's incredible when we look at some of the schools that we're going to speak to later today when they're teaching the First Nations language of that particular area, when we're looking at some of the work that even play school is doing, teaching preschool children, music, fashion, you name it. Who knows where the, oh, now I get it moment is going to come from, Joe? Uh, and I think if we're all, if we're all um, privileged and open enough to discuss or ask questions if we're allowed or if we're given permission or we, we can just request and have the conversations. We don't know what we're going to get out of this. And for me, it was just, I, I felt extremely privileged. And whenever I can, I try and get that story across. Because, you, know, you know, the Indigenous people need as much help to sort of guide their own future and lives as they can get. And we, we can only help them to do that as long as they give us the guidance. And if we understand their, 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 their story and their history and what it's all about, that's the only way that we can help, I say. Yeah. Joe, thank you for sharing that really powerful story. Um, let's go to Maureen, who is in Elstonwick. G'day, Maureen. What's your experience? Uh, hi. Well, my experience was back in 1978. And I was um, in Central Australia with a Canadian friend and we went out to Uluru in the middle of the week, 1978, there was hardly anyone there. And I didn't want to climb the rock, not out of respect, I have to say, but because I'm petrified of heights. And so we decided we'd just go for a walk around the base and we ran into this elderly Indigenous gentleman who looked as if he'd been a boundary rider for... 40 or 50 years because he had that bow-legged walk and wore the cowboy shirt and the jeans and um, spoke with a very heavy accent. English wasn't his first language. And my friend wanted to ask him something. She wanted to know something. So she went over and she asked him a question and he answered it. And then he asked if we would like him to show us around. And we weren't stupid, so we said yes. Yeah. And private tour. Well, he wasn't a tour guide. He just lived there. That was his country. And um, so we were walking around the base and he was telling us what food they ate and, you know, 
talked about dancing and, and singing and so on. And then we got to one cave and because we've got all these little caves around the base of the rock and we'd gone in one and he talked about it and then we came to the next another one and he said, oh, you go in there and look. And we said, well, you know, come with us. Oh, no, no, he said, it's women's business. And we said, well, there are no women around. Come with us. You should have said, look on this boat face. Uh, no way was he going to go into a women's business cave. Um, and I thought how respectful he was. And we talked about this later, my friend and I. He really, this was his, his life, his living. He um, he wouldn't go into a women's cave and no mm. woman would know because for him it was just so wrong. It was the same as he wouldn't let us go into a men's cave. And we thought all day tourists are going in and out of these caves with no respect for or no knowledge of what they were for. And, and that was when I decided I had to know stuff. Yeah, and that was back in 1978. Maureen, thank you so much. There's a text here that says, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s education. It's such a shame that we literally learnt nothing about our original occupation. We have a lot of catching up to do. It feels like it is kind of on high speed at the moment, though, Jono, and that we are, it's been very slow, but then that is happening relatively quickly, you know, and it is happening within schools as well. And we're going to speak to a local primary school a little later as well. But Tom Mosby is the CEO of Koori Heritage Trust. Tom, would you agree? I mean, are we starting to see an appetite for history and for, for all people to learn our, our true and our long history? Um, look, I actually think there is an appetite. I mean, certainly at the Koori Heritage Trust, in terms of the education programs that we run, um, we said uh, we, we do have a great pickup from the community. Um, people wanting to learn about the history of um, uh, First Nations settlement here in uh, here in Australia. But at the same time, I think there's still a long way to go in terms of people really understanding the impact of non-Indigenous settlement and colonisation of the country as well. We've been chatting this morning and hearing from people about their kind of light bulb moments where they really started to realise a little bit more about Aboriginal history and, and become a little bit more educated. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you recreate that? Um, when you say recreate, how do we actually get people to get that to that? How can you spark bulb? that? Yeah, how can you make those experiences happen? Look, I think it's things like this. It's conversation. It's um, a public conversation. It's recognising Indigenous people um, in terms of national um, holidays, things like um, Reconciliation Week. I'd like to talk about that a bit further as well. Um, but Reconciliation Week, the fact that we have NAIDOC Week, that there is always a conversation also around Australia Day. And um, is that an appropriate thing that we should be celebrating given the history um, that Indigenous people have gone through in the country um, as a result of um, the arrival, um, yeah, when we talk about reconciliation, I want to play something to you. This is on Q&A last night. This is Mitch yep. Tambo. I feel like we have to educate the kids, you know, and educate the teachers. I think it's important that we educate teachers, we educate educators and we get to the kids because the reality is, is that's where we've got a greater scope to build capacity, build empathy, build a heart that's geared towards hearing our story. I hope with all of my heart that we are coming to a position in this nation where we can stop turning our head away, open our hearts and just grow a little bit of capacity for our story. 
Does that help when it comes to reconciliation? We're into day two. This year the theme is more than a word. Reconciliation takes action. Is education mm-hmm. action? Look, I think education is definitely action. Um, but I actually think we need to really look at what we mean about reconciliation. I personally am in two minds. Um, when um, we look at the word reconciliation and what we're meant to be doing, because there is a thinking within the Indigenous community, which is firstly, um, it's not for us to reconcile. It's actually for non-Indigenous people who have come into this country and taken land away from um, our Indigenous people. It's for them to to actually look at reconciliation and work towards reconciliation. So how but do you do that, though, Tom? Is that that's this? I guess, and that's Jono and I had this exact yeah. same conversation this morning. It's like you were listening in to what we were talking about. How how do you do that? And I guess that's is it formal and, education? Is it popular culture? I think it is. It, it's everything. I actually do think um, it is formal education. It's actually teaching um, our young ones when we're in kindergarten. Um, it's actually, and it is that education um, to recognise that the history in Australia um, isn't all good. I mean, there are some really bad things that actually happen to our communities. And I think by knowing and understanding that, it actually places a perspective for people in terms of where um, we're at um, as an Indigenous community today. Um, When we talk about things like closing the gap in education, in terms of representation in prison, all of that, um, it actually um, explains why we need to actually talk about that closing the gap, um, and it actually leads a way forward, there's a path forward for this idea of reconciliation. But even that word reconciliation to me, um, there's a thinking that, I mean, when we talk about reconciliation, it actually means that we were all friends at the start, something happened, and now we talk about reconciliation. And of course, that wasn't the case. Yeah, you're not the first person who I've heard say, how do you reconcile something when we didn't, we weren't reconciled in the first place? You know, you can't <laughs> reconcile. Hey, but you're talking about um, kindergarten. Um, yep. Well, this is, this is a little bit of a recent play school episode. Yep. Kaya, my friends, Kaya. Kaya, did you know that Aboriginal people are the first people of Australia? And now lots of people have come here to live too. Have you ever done an acknowledgement of country? You can do it with us. Come on. We would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Together, we will touch the ground of the land. We will reach for the sky that covers the land. And we'll touch our hearts in care of the land. Is that important, Tom Mosby? You're the CEO of the Koori Heritage Trust. This is preschool. This is even before kinder, although we're all partial to a little bit of play school no matter what our age. But (laughs) I reckon my daughter knows more First Nations language and history than I do sometimes. And that's because of just how it is a part of her everyday education and vocab and even the books that she reads. Um, look, I think it is very important. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the younger we can actually um, get our young ones to actually learn and understand about um, Indigenous peoples and our Indigenous communities and languages here in the country, um, we set them up for a future as adults where they actually really understand how to um, work 
um, and be with Indigenous communities. I think that is the future. You, um, there's that saying, I think it's the Seven Up series, um, where you actually, you get, when, however you set up um, a person in their childhood will actually set them up as an adult. Um, so I think it's very important that sort of um, preschool into kindergarten, primary school, that type of um, formal education is really important. Yeah, good on you, Tom. Thank you very much for having a chat this morning. Tom Mosby, CEO of the Curry Heritage Trust. Dale is in Benalla. G'day, Dale. What's your experience? Hi, guys. Uh, my experience, just uh, my youngest daughter, she's in uh, kindergarten in town at the moment, and uh, she comes home every night. We didn't really know uh, what, you know, they were getting sort of taught about the Indigenous and especially around uh, around the locality, but... She comes home and all the flora and fauna is all taught to her in uh, different Indigenous languages. Um, and they go out on excursions and uh, a lot of the stuff she's bringing home and telling me and my wife has sort of set us and gone, you know, we've been in school for, you know, going right through VC and still would not have yeah. an idea about any of this stuff. And isn't that interesting, Dale, what they're learning compared to what we learnt? But how important that is, because then if they can teach us, that's incredible. There's a text here that says, my grade three child came home telling me about how much he loves Archie Roach. It was because it turns out they read a storybook. They took the children away. We streamed the song. We discussed it. It was slightly confusing, the last line about him coming home, but it was amazing work by the school. So it helps us, doesn't it, as parents sometimes to start those conversations. And that was actually the song we heard earlier, um, The Children Came Back. He's kind of a reworking of that Archie Roach song that is mentioned in that that text there, they took the children away. So Annette Tricorico is a Yorta Yorta language teacher at Gary Street Primary School in Shepparton. G'day, Annette. Oh, hello, Jono. How are you? I'm very well. Why is it important to teach Indigenous language? Well, I think it's important, especially because we have such a rich heritage in this area, the Shepparton, um, Goulburn Valley area. It's important for everyone to know. And as the person said before, really great when the kids come home to say what they'd been learning and then that helps the parents to understand a little bit more as well. And that um, song we just heard earlier was um, by Briggs, who's from Shepparton, actually, mm-hmm. and Gurramal and Dwayne Everett-Smith, who uh, has his lineage from Aboriginal people in Tasmania and Gunai Kurnai people from Gippsland, where I am at the moment. It's called The Children Came Back. But um, this is a LOAT program, and generally throughout you know, my history, we had the option of Japanese or German, um, but we didn't really have an option around Indigenous languages. Is that changing? Well, it is gradually. Um, we're one of the first schools to teach Yorta Yorta in Victoria. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that there are any others at the moment. Maybe Warrawa, the high school boarding school in um, Healesville. But um, it is gradually changing. People are interested to find out more about it. And like I've had um, kindergartens approach me and say, can you... Can we come to you for some lessons? I've got even some Yorta Yorta ladies who come and have their lessons with our prep grades because they said they wanted to start right at the start. So it's gradually taking off. And what about the idea, Annette, when you just hear kids maybe using 
words just naturally, maybe around the playground or, you know, when they're referring to, say, a bird or just something that's happened in their life? Does it start to just slip in and become a part of everyday life? I think it does eventually. We've got a few, like, a few words that we use in the classroom, like they all know, gunbina, stand up, garble, sit down, um, gokwil, listen, um, and you, they just, and mum, sit on your mum, your bum. And um, <laughs> I'm going to say that one tonight. Because well, I, reckon I, <laughs> I, I reckon I have heard that around the playground when I was growing up, I reckon. Mm. It, it seems like a bit of a common word around because a lot of Aboriginal languages did share words because they had to know about trading and, you know, how to talk the language of the neighbouring tribes. So, yeah, that's probably why. Uh, fair enough. Um, are people wanting to do it? Do, do parents want mm-hmm. their kids to learn Indigenous languages? Well, um, we've been doing it for about eight or nine years at Gowrie Street and we haven't really had anyone say, oh, no, we don't want our kids doing that. I think we're proud to do it and hopefully the parents are proud. Any worksheets and things the kids take home, um, I always make sure they've got the the Yorta Yorta and the English written on it and I hope, the and I say to the kids actually, Mm. can you share it with your mum and dad or whoever you live with? So I hope the kids are doing the teaching as well. Annette, thank you so much for joining us. How are you going with homeschooling at the moment? Oh, well, it's a little bit of a chance to um, rejig yourself yeah. and everything else. <laughs> yeah. It's not good, but it's okay. Oh, look, I know. As long as you've got your slippers on and we're all comfortable, that's the main thing. Exactly. Annette, take care. Thank you. Annette Tricky, uh, Trick Erico, I should say, Yorta Yorta language teacher at Gowrie Street in Shepparton at the primary school there. This is a text from Dax, and I want to read this because, Dax, I don't think you're alone here. Rish and Jono, growing up in the 80s, I was oblivious to Indigenous culture and, to be honest, possibly racist due, due to my upbringing and my peer influence. I'm embarrassed and ashamed of my behaviour. But now, as a 50-year-old, I strive to learn as much as possible through research, reading and sharing that with my daughter. And that's from Dax. Dax, thank you for sharing that because it's important. And yeah, as I said, I don't think you would be alone there. Murray in Mornington Peninsula. Murray, morning. Hey, Noonga Jangamida, Alam Balaman, which means g'day you guys. That's uh, the language of the Noonga Boyu people. It's called Waboy for Arnhem Land. So I've had over 60 kids come and stay at my home. My wife and I run a little program called the Long Journey Partnership. And we sat down with the elders many years ago and said, look, what can we do? And they said, look, um, the kids have got to go to school regularly. We just need to encourage them. So we set up a bribery and corruption program. <laughs> if you go to school every day, you get to come to Melbourne for two weeks. So they get uh, immersed in Red Hill Consolidated Primary School or Dramana Secondary on their age. And I wanted to tell you guys a quick little story. Um, one of the boys, Aboriginal boys, turned up from school on his first day and he said, look, Murray said, um, this mob don't have totems. I said, no, brother, we, we don't have totems. He said, well, how do you look after country and family? I said, well, we don't do a very good job. He said, well, I'm going to give them totems. Well, this 12-year-old boy went to school the next day. He gave 30 kids totems. Oh. And that's what it's all about. Oh. It's about kids teaching kids. Yeah. So we take year uh, 11 students up to remote community. They teach level one first aid, and they're taken out and taught bush medicine and bush tucker. And it means you've got these kids right on the same level. 
not I'm better than you or you're better than me. Here's what each culture can offer. So look, I could go on for hours about this sort of stuff. But, um, How powerful so- is that? That is, yeah, that. that's such a good story. Thank you so much for relating that, Murray. Um, I appreciate that. Kathy is in Northcote. Uh, morning, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. This is fascinating and one of the areas that I'm so passionate about. I am one of the very, very few and fortunate teachers. I was educated in some Aboriginal Perspectives program during the 1990s, 2000. It operated um, in conjunction with Museum Victoria, Catholic Education and the the, um, various communities of of the Aboriginal communities around Victoria. And there were um, four three-day immersion programs with the Gunditjmara, the Yorta Yorta, the Wurundjeri and the Kulin Nations down in Gippsland. And um, we would go away for three days with these various people. The important thing was that you were working in conjunction with the Indigenous people. You never spoke on behalf of them. Absolutely. You learnt from them. And that's the most important thing. Well said, Cathy. Thank you so much. You spoke at the very beginning of the program, Jono, about how actually being on land, on country and the impact that that had on you. And that's something where I'm starting to see significant shift, even just anecdotally in my own life, from the playgrounds that we visit to the walking trails that we may do. Shani Hamilton is a Zsa Zsa Waring Parks Victoria Ranger. She's based in Bendigo. Shani, I think even just coming down to the acknowledgement and the signage and the information that is around to non-Indigenous people, there's been a significant shift within the last couple of years, I would say. Would you agree? Yes, I agree with that, yes. And my experience, you know, I spoke earlier about being at Ubir in the Northern Territory and I feel a little bit embarrassed, I guess, that I went all the way to the Northern Territory to kind of get a better understanding about Aboriginal culture when really, I mean, it's all around us here. Why is that? Why do you think people don't engage with Aboriginal culture as much in Victoria? Um, A lot of people not aware that, um, you know, a lot of the culture and heritage um, is out there in in the landscapes. Um, um, For instance, um, at Parks Victoria, we do the Junior Ranger program every school holidays and we actually deliver a cultural junior ranger program um out there to the kids you know from age two up to to 14 15 and um we target those kids you know um, we take a lot of um ancient cultural artifacts in um um, for these kids to let them know um, what lies out there in the landscape gosh it really does come back to the kids, doesn't it? I mean, how many times in today's conversation has it come back to, you know, the younger generation or primary school or even pre-primary school and how they can not only take that information in but how they can then teach their parents and grandparents? It's really important, isn't it? Yes, absolutely, because, you know, um, the culture and heritage what lies in our Australian landscape, it's everyone's. It's not only mine as a Jara person or as a First Nation person. It's the whole of Australia and, you know, we need, all need to um, educate ourselves around this and start looking after these um, um, ancient sites because that's all what's out there of um, Indigenous people. That's all what's left in the landscape. Um, so, yeah, we need to educate and um, get these sites protected. 
And I know okay. there is, you know, there's there's work being done to run tours at places like Budge Bim in Western Victoria and, and get more interpretive signs and things like that. But I reckon that's what really made it for me at Ubir and, and made me understand a little bit more was I had a guided tour. They were explaining the rock art to me. They were explaining where these little bowls were that they used, how they hunted, where the lookouts were, um, all this kind of stuff. Do we need more of that? Absolutely, and a space um, to watch in um, Jajarung country um, is um, Kiora um, State Park, uh, which means the Mountain of Light in Jajarung um, language. So there's, you know, going to be um, new walking tracks implemented out there um, with cultural views and um, cultural sites that you can, you know, stop off and have a look and have a read and. Um, get yourself educated around culture and heritage. Yeah, education, absolutely. Shani, thank you so much. Thank you. Shani Hamilton is Jajawaring Parks Victoria Ranger. She's the team leader based in Bendigo. Today is day two of Reconciliation Week. The theme is more than a word, reconciliation takes action. And how that happens through education, how it happens through popular culture. And we just can't underestimate the, the power of music. Here's a text here, Jono. It says, Rochelle and Jono, our, for our First Nations education as a child of the 80s within the school system, it was from the band Midnight Oil. They taught our generation. Lovely to be chatting oh. with you this morning during Reconciliation Week, yeah. um, which the theme this year is more than a word, reconciliation takes action. And we've been you know, learning a couple of Indigenous words on the conversation now this morning, but... But it is all about action as well, Rish. Well, it's just been fascinating to look at those different moments in time where people have maybe realised or recognised that we weren't taught anything through school yep. or that we didn't discuss it within families and where or how we can change that. We can reconcile that because it's our job to reconcile. And that's what we heard earlier from Tom. It's, it's our job to do that. And that is so often through education and that doesn't have to be a formal setting you know it can be something like music I mean Liz in Ballarat is saying you know that song now how can this not bring a tear I mean as I said it's it was a really powerful moment for me and it makes mm. a thirst for knowledge is is important yeah, if you hear that original song by Archie Roach, oh. they took the children away. I mean, that is a tearjerker. But then they've kind of turned it around with that version of the song because it's really upbeat, as you can hear. Um, we were just having a chat there with Shani Hamilton, and she's on Jaja Wurrung Country. And there's a text here saying, I'm a three-year-old kindergarten teacher on Jaja Wurrung land. We do an acknowledgement of country every day. We've included Indigenous symbols around the room to label different parts, such as the meeting place where we sit at mat time, the water symbol on the water trolley. We're slowly integrating more Indigenous content as we become more confident as educators in this important area, which is really important. But then I reckon today we've also learnt that some, sometimes it's your peers who are the best teachers. If kids are teaching kids, that's perfect. We've done lots of different shows on whether it be bush tucker, you know, native ingredients. There is a lot of rich and incredible content and people that have joined us on the conversation hour. So, you know, given that we've now only got two hours of exercise a day and you will need things to listen to as you go for your walk, can we highly recommend that you subscribe <laughs> to the Conversation Hour podcast? You will always have something to listen to when you go for your allocated walk and you can always email us, Jono, of course. At Conversation Hour at abc.net.au. We'd love to hear from you with any suggestions, comments, questions and ideas for future shows. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.